So there we were, playing a, a you know a good round of airsoft um, with some of our friends. Yeah. And I was feeling pretty good. I mean, I was the youngest there, obviously, because all you guys are a few years older than me. And the friends we were playing with were all a little bit older than me, too. But there I was, like, nine years old, I think. Maybe eight. I think it might have still been eight. Is that it? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was 2011. And how do, the, how do you remember the these things by years? So I just, like, I don't know. It's just very... Because it was traumatizing, trauma. Partly. And there's various touch points that I remember around that that happened. But, um... That we ate, like, chicken that one Friday, or... My memory is weird, yeah. The stuff it picks up on. But, anyway, so I was sneaking up on one of our friends... Uh, I won't say who, so don't say who. Yeah, um, she, he's already felt bad about it enough, and it's not a not a problem. I, I think it's just funny, but um, so I was sneaking up on him, and then somehow I must have made a noise, and I was like right behind him. I, I don't know why I wanted to go so close, but like I don't know, I was, uh, just wanted to be really accurate when I was sneaking up to shoot him. So I was right behind him yeah. when he heard me. He turns around and just fires uh, with with his gun and just nails me right in the mouth, right on the tooth. Ow. Um, my front tooth, my front left tooth. And yeah, at the time I was like, ow, it hurt. And I, I think I probably cried a little you bit. You definitely did. And then you guys held him and let me shoot him. That's right. So I got some revenge at the moment. But we're like, okay, it hurt a little bit, big deal. But then um, it wasn't until a few months later I started feeling the effects of it. It was like closer to Christmas time. Yep. And uh, I had this really bad pain in my mouth. And... Um, we were like, we didn't know what it was, and then we took, uh, my mom took me to the dentist to check out what was going on. Well, your tooth started, like, My, my tooth was literally longer. moving down. It was yeah. like, like, if you, if you t- imagine the front two teeth, my left one was, like, quarter of an inch lower than my right one. It we're was like, crazy. We're like, what's happening? Uh, maybe even more than that. It was, it was bad. And so we went there, and he's like, oh, yeah, you have, like, an inflamed gum. And he's like, has anything happened? Like, any incidents of trauma possibly to the to the uh to the mouth recently and we're like well actually a few months ago i don't even know if mom had known about it before we had to go into the dentist but like yeah actually a few months ago i I got shot in the mouth playing airsoft um and he's like well that that does it so i had to you know you know the whole story i had to get a root canal and then like like i think the next year i was eating like a pretzel and i just bit it and this is after i think the operation of the root canal but then it broke my tooth right in half so there, there was a crackdown and they had to like glue it back together with a special dental like glue or like some like cement something like that. I don't know. It was, it was weird. So all that to say, um, yeah, you know, if if you're gonna play airsoft with your homies, just maybe maybe, maybe wear, wear face, a mouth guard or a face, face, face mask. Yeah, honestly, it's it's not a bad idea. I remember when you were eating that pretzel and you like bit it and your tooth just blank. Well, I didn't know what had happened because like from my perspective, I couldn't see my tooth fall out. I just bit it and I knew something felt weird about my mouth. I was like, wait, something's off. And it, it's, like, it's really bizarre because it actually, if you had the feeling of something stuck behind your tooth, yeah. that's what it felt like. I was like, oh, this, I guess I got pre- pretzel stuck by my tooth. So I go <laughs> to the mirror to see, like, what's stuck by my tooth. And I'm like, wait, no, there is no, <laughs> there is no tooth. Half my tooth is literally missing. Um, then I had to fish around my macaroni and cheese to find it. Uh, that was so nasty. So was, was us letting you shoot him after this, was that a, was that a legitimate was that a just return oh. for what was done to you? What a deep moral question. Um, I mean, an eye for an eye, man. I, oh, yeah, true. Jewish law, that's very just. Yes, the revenge. He had, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I should have shot him in the mouth. That would have been actually <laughs> mo- most fitting. But um, I don't know, man. It's revenge. Revenge isn't isn't a great 
ideal as far revenge as Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. Exactly. We're not supposed to engage in revenge, but it did sure feel good when you guys held him and I got to just shoot him point blank. So but, if, if Christians aren't supposed to uh, engage in revenge, and there's different parts of the Bible just like that where God says, revenge is mine, says the Lord, or yeah. St. Paul in Romans says... Um, Leave room for the wrath. Do not seek your own vengeance. And by the wrath, it means like God's the wrath, wrath of not, God. not your own. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and Jesus telling Peter, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Big rip. Um, well, what is our, like, how do we understand war then? Yeah, how war. do we retaliate to evil? Yeah, I mean, Christians have gauged in war since Christians were Christians. Yeah. I mean, think about it, especially like England and France. These are two, like, Christian or a Catholic even countries mm-hmm. just going at like mad war was everything they were doing completely wrong is war always wrong should we be completely pacifists yeah. or what what should be our understanding what is the Catholic philosophical understanding of war well I guess we'd say that what is the correct Catholic understanding there there's go. definitely That's a whole true. spectrum of Catholics as far as their opinions go on this because there are definitely Catholics and Christians who are on the one extreme of like oh we need to be absolute pacifists like Christians never engage in war we mm-hmm. never do anything to retaliate. On the other hand, there are people who are very gung ho about, yeah. like, oh yeah, if, if a terrorist or any you know country um, attacks us, we're gonna like we're gonna hit him back, and bordering on almost revenge, yeah, kind of is the mentality. But I guess the correct uh, Catholic response is you need to uh, balance that with you need to kind of be willing to respond to evil in a way that's going to punish it, because obviously justice is a good thing, but not in a vengeful way. You need to temper that justice with uh, acknowledgement that war and violence is always a bad thing. So, yeah. I mean, that that's, I think, overall the, the big understanding for uh, accurate Catholic moral teaching on war and just um, violence in general is it's okay sometimes to use violent means um, to, you know, respond to some evil, but it, you have to recognize that violent means are a bad thing. So mm-hmm. you have to you have to be very careful about how you use them and make sure you're tempering them with the right motivations, like the, the right motives, and also, like, not falling into the, the danger of revenge. And how, how just to understand, because you said the word violent means that the end does not justify the means, because that's certainly a very non-Christian Machiavellian. Yeah. yeah, and just utilitarian kind of right. perspective that... You know, if it benefits enough people, no matter how we get there, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I feel like sometimes war could be justified, or like the means of getting to victory can be justified by the victory itself. Yeah. And that also is not true Catholic right. perspective on war. Right. Aquinas actually has a whole part of the Summa mm-hmm. um, in the second part of the second part of the Summa. Because yeah. Aquinas Supreme. couldn't be easy. He had to, he, he was working on the second part and it was so long. He's like, oh, well, let's put like second part into two parts, but yeah. not call it the third part. Just call it part two of part one and part two. I know. And it's it's kind of a, a good chat It's like that way. some movies do that nowadays, with like movie series where they're like, like, oh, it's movie eight, part one, part yeah. two. Like, bro, just Mission call it movie Impossible eight and then movie nine. That. Did they? Yeah, Mission yeah. Impossible seven, part one. Okay. It's like, wait, there's they're making a second part. Yeah. They're not done. I no. thought this was the last movie. No, no. Well, it is the last movie, but it's not the last movie because there's part two exactly Exactly. anyways Uh. so aquinas he talks about in his discussion on war um 
because he had he has a section uh, numerous questions responding to an article on war where he talks about there is conditions in which war is actually not always evil. Mm-hmm. He he actually first describes war as an offense against charity, but then he also says there are conditions in which it is acceptable and, in fact, just to engage in war. He enumerates three, but since then we've actually kind of expanded those uh, or fleshed them out maybe yeah. a little bit to a full seven principles of just right. war. So just I'll go th- – I'll name them real quick and then we can talk about what each one means. Totally. And so first, you, uh, war could only be declared for a just cause. You can't just say, like, well, I really like their territory. Um, you know, grass is always greener. Like, exactly. I want to take them. Or to even say, like, oh, you know, that leader, he's super evil or awful. Um, even if maybe some of the stuff he's doing we don't agree with, unless he's actually, like, massacring innocent lives, you couldn't just be like, oh, that leader's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, even to say, like... I don't know about preemptive strikes. I, that's something I don't like. I don't know how Aquinas would feel about that. But anyways, mm-hmm. so it has to be a, a just cause. Yeah. Um, often that would be potentially if, say, you were the victim of a previous attack, and you know, maybe a pacifist might say like, "Well, well, you can't retaliate even for that." Mm-hmm. Aquinas would be like, "No, it's just cause." At that point, it's almost like large scale self defense. Aggr- they're an aggressor, and yeah. you are have the right to respond to an aggression. Yeah. Um, second, you have to have the correct intent. So you can even declare war for a right reason, but if you still have an intent at the end to, like, annihilate the whole country, yeah. you're like, oh, they attacked me, your intent should just be bringing to the, going as far as you can to re- restore peace. Right. Aquinas says that war is only justified if its end is actually peace. If you have no peace right. in an intent and it's just like, yay, just plow through them, even if your cause initially was just, it completely... D- unvalue, devaluates it. Would that then rule out examples like, for maybe history, where a nation saw something bad that another country was doing, like, immoral, and they used that as an excuse when really they just wanted to, like, take over their land. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, like you said, they have very nice uh, mountains and hills over there. We'd, we'd really like to have that. Oh, look at this. They happen to be doing something wrong. I guess we'll just have to invade exactly. them. Cause, so yeah. their cause, the cause might have been just because yeah. they, they, what this nation was doing to the people was awful. Right. But if their intent was, well, we just needed an excuse, now exactly. we'll invade. It's, no. Their, their intent could only still continue to be freeing those persecuted people right um then there, the the benefit so basically um you have to ensure uh that i guess was, was yeah you have to ensure you have to have some sh- assurance that victory is possible okay um you, that if you go to war thinking like ah oh, there's a chance we might lose but we're still gonna go to war and just try it anyways mm-hmm. i'm to say it's not worth it then interesting um even if it's really like a bad situation going on if you don't think you you can win then you need to wait around until you actually can. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, war can only be declared by a legitimate authority. Interesting. So you and I can't just say, hey, we're going to war against Russia because what they're doing to Ukraine. Right. Um, even though that might be a good intent and just cause, uh, we have no right to mm-hmm. declare war because we weren't elected by the people and we were not in a sense, elected by God. We're not even in a position to actually lead people exactly. into a war. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. So we require yeah. someone like the president or someone higher up in, you know, the, what, the... Uh, DOD. Secretary, yeah. Department of Defense or the Secretary of uh, Defense or whatever. That, yeah. Like, it's their job to declare war. Right. Um, then it should only be used as a last resort after all possible means of peace have mm-hmm. been exhausted. So if we tried negotiating with... 
Russia or China. I'm just going to use them as examples because they're, mm-hmm. like, the main aggressors these days. Yeah. Um, and there's just, like, no way in which war is potent- is at all preventable, yeah. then it's okay. But if you're like, oh, well, you know, what they did was bad. We're just going to declare war. If you didn't even try to say, like, hey, are you going to do anything about that? Mm-hmm. Or almost threaten them, like, hey, if you don't fix things then right. with the clear war if you just go for it then he's saying that's also unjust so you need to leave plenty of room for diplomacy before you yeah, exactly make war an, an option yeah and then finally the seventh principle is proportionality which is uh, going towards what you were talking about about means is that the uh end result of whatever means you're doing war if bad stuff ends up happening that has to be outweighed by still a good result mm-hmm. and that the loss of innocent lives has to be prevented at absolute all costs. And if any are collateral on your side, then it immediately becomes an unjust war. Wait, so, okay, that's that's pretty radical then, actually, right, with the way you just said, that um, when you're weighing an outcome as opposed to your means and, like, seeing whether basically violent means are worth it, if there's any death on the part of innocence, if there's that any, immediately, like, tips the scale well, so if, that... Well, if there's any, like, acceptance as, it, like, a like a uh, casualty like well we need to raid this village there isn't people there like i guess it'll just be a casualty if you didn't if you didn't know that there was innocent people in a village and you thought it was just the enemy and you bombed it and they died well that's you know that was unavoidable yeah but if you're like well you know there's 99 percent enemies and there's one percent hostages still in there like i'll just carpet bomb it it's fine okay well so then i'm thinking of an extreme example of hiroshima or nakisaki where like uh, obviously, in the Pacific Theater, we were, like, engaged in very violent fighting, and there yeah. was maybe no clear end in sight, but uh, the way we just basically s- stopped that and checkmated them is by, it, like, it was by intentionally bombing innocents. Like, yeah. that would be, at that point, no oh. longer just in the Oh, innocence. yeah, we we totally, America totally lost uh, a just card yeah. uh, in the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. Um, so you say, I would say prior to that, we were actually probably engaging in a just war. I don't know about some of our war tactics mm-hmm. um, prior to that, like especially in like the islands. Yeah. Yeah. Especially those kind of areas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that just makes it like a clear, like, nope. Mm-hmm. You know, if we'd even drop would... those bombs on like a standing army, that might even be different. Right. Um, well, but... because they, they can be recognized as the enemy, but yeah. in this case it was primarily civilians. And what I guess I'm wondering then is, can you separate a war from certain actions of the war when you're measuring whether it was just or not? Like, could you say, on the whole, America was engaging, America engaged in a just war in World War II, even though that one particular action was wrong? Or is it, would you say, just because, obviously, Hiroshima and Akisaki was unjust, does that mean that the entire war was unjust? So, I guess, well, are you asking for, like, my personal opinion on that? Or what I think, like... Aquinas well, just based on what you know of just war theory. So I would say, just in general, according to just war theory, um, the idea of, you know, one plagued member plagues the whole. Um, if one of those principles is broken, I think it breaks the whole thing. Yeah. So even if all of the other principles are met, if that one wasn't, then I think it becomes immediately an unjust war. Mm-hmm. Now, my personal opinion, I think it is possible to, like, maybe, like, segregate you know some of these like okay this part of the war was just this part wasn't yeah this treatment of it was this wasn't these leaders were these leaders weren't Mm -hmm. but that also then begins to almost like 
relativize or you know make really subjective yeah. the war. But if you t- look at it objectively, I'd say you have to say, all right, here are the seven principles that have to be met. Right. If one is not met, right. it's not like, oh. All the way through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I, I remember reading an article because I was writing a paper on whether Aquinas could be read as a pacifist or not. Um, <laughs> and I was – it's it's this new thing among uh, like I guess – Contemporary Thomists, yeah, we're trying to argue that Aquinas. That's a bad combo of words, contemporary and Thomist. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of. Um, but they're trying to argue that even though Aquinas treats all of these things, yeah, that himself, you to look to read the Summa on like a personal level, you can find Aquinas's hints that he's a pacifist. Which I just said, like, no, bro, that's not even. There's just no way. It, His support of. Uh, ambush. Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says that you should be able to ambush people. Um, his support of capital punishment, mm-hmm. um, support of war in general, mm-hmm. um, it just I just don't see it. Um, I, I, I always think it's funny when it comes to philosophy when there's like commentators or like modern readers who try to read between the lines so much that they just don't read the lines themselves. Yeah, it's like, right? look, look, you should at least grasp what the lines are saying before you try to read between them. So like, oh yeah, well maybe deep down inside, Thomas Aquinas actually. He's actually pacifist, but just ignore all all the articles of the Summa where he's clearly, like you're saying, yeah. not a pacifist in any sense. But, yeah, so I, I guess that's really interesting then that um, those those seven principles that you laid out, just considering them in different historical examples, like whether it's World War II, that seems like, obviously, that numerous of the principles were there, mm-hmm. um, like, obviously, just cause and preventing the Holocaust, preventing uh, Japanese imperialism. Um, but it is interesting, like you're saying, that to consider whether or not you can really compartmentalize some of the unjust means that America used. Yeah, and just just to go back to what I was saying, I, I read an article uh, when I was working on this particular paper um, that said, okay, he was laying out like Aquinas' principles and giving some commentary himself on them. And he concluded by saying, while I believe that Aquinas is correct, that in theory there is – and that's all it's called. It's a just war theory. Mm-hmm. Um that in theory there could be a just war. I do. This guy was saying he personally does not believe there ever has been one. That's interesting. Um, which, I mean, it's a really bold statement to make, considering yeah. like there's no way this guy knows all the wars that have ever happened in the world. Yeah. Um, but I, he was, I think, really specifically looking at wars that the United States has engaged in because oh. that's on a clearly shorter timeline. Mm-hmm. We know all of them. You know, we're not trying to like. I don't think they're he's more historically including, documented. Like, some tribal. Wars yeah. in Africa or something right. like that, um, yeah, clearly documented. And there's actually a huge, like a huge movement in like political philosophy to determine whether or not the American Revolution was actually a just war or not. Um, because like, is well, was what they were like being demanded, like, like was it actually unjust? Like, is it was it legitimate yeah, the for them to without representation? Yeah, exactly. Like... Was that a legitimate? Right thing to like rebel against yeah. was King George an actual tyrant dictator? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there are certain things like you know uh, that American colonials did, like tar and feathering, mm-hmm. or just just straight up burning of so- tons of Native American crops who were sympathizers of the English. That was super awful and often more violent than what the British were doing to yeah. them. Yeah. But then again, some of the ways the British treated. Um, the families of those who were, uh, you know, colonial sympathizers yeah. or, you know, who were revolutionary so- soldiers, 
Um, they would even they wouldn't do it themselves. They would hire Native Americans to go raid villages and just like decimate them. Scale so them, yeah, uh, it's. I mean, there was a lot of bad on both sides. It was just brutal uh, from both sides. So it was. It's a really interesting idea to determine whether or not that war was just or not. Mm-hmm. But we're not really here to talk about that so much. But um, yeah, how how does that come to like us personally? I suppose like what's I don't think, like, you and I are probably um, going to be engaging in, like, determining whether we're going to declare war. Obviously, that's right. not what you and I are in. But more, there's also, like, there's an sh- offshoot to just war theory, which is just tyrannicide. Yeah. Which is whether or not you can actually kill a leader yeah. of a country. Right. Um, that is something I feel like that I hear more often. People right. are like, oh, assassinate Trump, assassinate Biden, whatever. Yeah. Um, is that... What do you think about that? Like, what what should be our role in a conversation with people who say stuff like that? Or right. how, how do we understand those things? Well, like you said, obviously, in a sense, it's more relevant to us because we aren't legitimate authorities to declare war. But often, you know, your average citizen will consider himself a legitimate authority to uh, assassinate somebody. Right? Yeah, right. Um, want, yeah, and because, I mean, technically, they are capable of doing that. So... I think that the morality of tyrannicide, just tyrannicide, is roughly followed the same guidelines as uh, just war theory, but just applied obviously in a smaller context because it's not international, but it's right. considering in, your, in the context of your own nation. Uh, kind of the same seven principles still apply. You know, you have to have a just cause. It can't just be, oh, I, I don't like this uh, president, or he's just taxing, he's, he's imposed some unfortunate tax, or inflation's gone up since he's been president. It has to be, he's actually... Either, like, you know, for example, one extreme would be just wholesale, like, massacring people in your country or, like, causing people, forcing people um, to engage in immoral behavior. Like, if, if there if some law came into place under some king or president that required the people in their country to engage in something that was, like, directly immoral, mm-hmm. then that would be a just cause to consider tyrannicide. What about preventing them from doing something that they should do have by right, like the freedom of expression of God, like or of worship. Like if there was no religious freedom, is that a just cause to declare war to bring it back? That's really interesting actually, because I could see that going both ways because Aquinas does talk about how uh, there are certain unjust laws or unjust situations in a country that we as Christians should kind of just endure mm-hmm. uh, as long as they're not outright requiring us to commit a sin. Um, for example, like a, a tax that's annoying or that affects mainly one part of the population kind of arbitrarily. Like that, those are kind of unjust things that we should just endure and they wouldn't qualify as like meriting, like killing a tyrant. But with what the example you gave, like if, if, a, if a president or a king said, okay, from now on you cannot worship, uh, that it seems like would cause people to have to sin because like obviously they'd, they'd yeah. be missing their their requirements to God of like honoring him. Well, that was the situation in England right. under Elizabeth was that, I mean, they didn't do a great job of enforcing it, but at least it was still law that they were, one, required to go to Anglican services, mm-hmm. um, and two, they were forbidden from any kind of expression of Catholicism. Now, right. the funny thing is you could actually pay your way out of it so that oh, if you paid enough, you didn't actually have to go to the Anglican services. Right. But for the majority of the poor people, yeah. that was out so, of the question. And they was huge. I mean, Guy Fox, the whole, you know, the gunpowder plot, he was yeah. a Catholic. Right. And there was actually a lot. I've done a lot of research on this because of a book I'm working on. Um, there was a lot of 
Catholics on board with trying to assassinate. Ass- yeah, assassinate. See, my opinion is that's valid. Elizabeth. I, I, I personally think that w- in that situation it was valid because, for one thing, they were like just persecuting people to the, to they the were, point they of were also, execution. They were also executing. Like, they were just executing priests whenever they would find them. Um, similar with like ancient Rome, like under Nero, like it mm-hmm. would have been, in my opinion, valid for a Christian to have tried to assassinate. Well, Nero. they did, but oh, it wasn't a Christian, he, but he, he did end he up getting himself, assassinated. Think, right? Did he kill himself? Like, thought... The Praetorian guards were showing up to kill him because he was oh, so bad. Right. Man, he didn't kill himself. First he did. Yeah. He's a coward. But like, pe- like Elizabeth or Nero, those sorts of people, I think, would be prime examples of what would qualify as maybe an instance of just tyrannicide if you were to yeah. do that. But you're right. Aquinas does say that like obedience even to an unjust ruler is acceptable to a Christian provided that they're not requiring us to sin or preventing us from like good in a, yeah, a necessary obligation right. that we have. But of course there, there is aside from the seven guidelines that you were mentioning with just war with tyrannicide, when you're dealing with it, there is like kind of an added qualification that you have to meet, mm-hmm. which is um, basically you have to have a substitute government in place or prepared uh, to fill in the gap after you take out the current powers that be. Mm-hmm. So you can't just be like, well, look, we don't really like this king or this president. He's doing all these bad things. We're just going to take him out and see what happens. And like, because that would just create anarchy, which would be yeah, exactly. a worse evil probably than what you currently have, because at least now you have a government of some, some kind. kind of, yeah. So instead, what you have to do is you have to plan out, you have to pick like, okay, we're going to have these leaders, we're going to set up a republic, or you, know, you have to organize things so that you already have a strategy in place so that after the tyrant is removed, you can fill in the void that's left there so that you actually have a government in place afterwards. Yeah. Which which makes a lot of sense because if you think about some of these like South American governments that had coups or whatever, yeah. they got rid of their presidents, um, and then it became a power vacuum, and just the most powerful military yeah. leader took it, and then what happened was just almost a worse dictatorship. Yeah. So that also then becomes like really, really dicey because I feel like a lot of people who are willing to rebel – are not good people. and Yeah. That... Or they're mixed. It's like a mixed crowd where there's going to be some people who really want to rebel just because of the just cause, and they're going to have to collaborate with people who are just power hungry. Yeah, and who have no real good intent. Yeah. Or, yeah. That, so, I don't know. It's definitely a weird situation. I hope we never have to be faced with anything like that. Yeah. But... I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised in the next next couple decades. I'm not... I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just hoping. Yes. Um, at, at least, especially, so my... Where I'm going... Uh, you know, into the priesthood, mm-hmm. um, my role in that would be, it would be very different from what, and I don't know, whatever you end up being. Right. Um, but if you don't, you aren't a priest or a religious or whatever, then our roles would be very different. Right. And so much so that Aquinas actually treats this specifically um, in his article about war, about whether or not priests, religious, clerics, and bishops, etc., can engage in war. Like, what's their, what's their duty to war? Yeah. Um, and he says that they can, if, they truly believe it's a just war. They can promote it. Hmm. Um, actually, Pope uh, was it Pope Urban the third, or Pope I don't forget, or Pope Innocent the third. I forget which one declared the first crusade. I think, um, or the, one of the crusades. I think it was innocent. Um, and then Bernard of Clairvaux was like huge in preaching the crusades. <laughs> really? Like he went on tour to like get people on the crusades. <laughs> hey guys, go to um, war, kill but, those Saracens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um. So he said that if you truly like know and discern and pray and believe that it is a just war, that you can promote it yeah. and encourage people to be on it, but you yourself cannot participate. Right. And in fact, even if you are become the victim of an aggressor, um, whether it's 
uh, in war or outside of it, a priest and religious has no right to retaliate. Or because you're representing Christ, who yeah, never exactly. So he, he kind of says that you know, Christ on the cross draws all things to himself, and as a priest, you are to represent sacrifice mm-hmm. of Christ. So to sacrifice someone else's life to preserve your own is the exact contrast of what Christ did, who only sacrificed himself for everyone else. And he said also, when a priest is ordained, he takes on a sacred duty. That is not a duty that any of the laity have. Yeah. Their duty is for the t- protection of the well-being of all people, Yeah. mainly more focused on some physical well-being. Whereas mm. my future responsibility is for your spiritual well-being. So that duty is higher than physical. Yeah. So I am only supposed to focus on that spiritual duty. Right. And to then engage in war would to be to like neglect that duty that I have. So... Um, that's something that I've contemplated on, like that's interesting. the state of affairs in America or the state of the affairs of the world, like yeah, sort of is worrisome in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what would be my role, you know, in that? And it's just, you know, to ensure that the faithful are still being fed spiritually, mm-hmm. even if it looks like, you know, what's physically going on might be like a crapshoot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, prayer I mean, is always the best solution. It when is. People say. I read this quote. I think Mother Teresa said this, but she said, when we say, oh, well, at least I can pray, she said, no, that is not the least you can do. Yeah. It's, in fact, the most you can do. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that that's just comes from our forgetfulness that spiritual powers are actually much greater than natural physical powers. But what you're saying is absolutely right, that we, we may well face much more persecution and just kind of a harsher scene, even in America, going into the next couple of decades, because... Uh, cancel culture is only getting more aggressive. Yeah. Um, and it's just becoming more and more uh, dangerous to really profess Christ. Uh, I mean, there's this a famous quote by Francis Cardinal George, who's you know a great mm-hmm. cardinal of like uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he said, "I expect that I'll I'll die on you know a, a bed in a hospital mm-hmm. or something. That my uh, yeah. predecessor, no, successor. no, my successor will die in prison, and that his successor will be executed yeah. for Christ." And, I mean, that's not necessarily looking it's, like the least yeah. likely possibility. But it, it is interesting what you're saying about how, as a priest, you would have a different role. And going back to what we had in England when the Christians were being persecuted, it might have been legitimate for a layman like Guy Fox or yeah. other people to make some attempt at tyrannicide. But on the priest's end, whenever the priests were caught and found, they, they couldn't defend themselves. It was, yeah. their, it was their duty to accept martyrdom. Yeah. So, and maybe that's what we're all called to. Yeah. Martyrdom. We'll see. We'll see. So. Anyways, exciting things to look forward to. Exactly. I mean, on the bright side, martyrdom is a free pass to heaven. Like, yeah, and true. So that's like, that's pretty lit. Okay. Yeah. So. Litskies. Get hyped. Yeah. Bro. Get hyped for the end times, y'all. Get hyped, my guys. It's going to be freaking bodacious. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of All Good in the Brotherhood. We hope you learned something today. Um, if you did, please uh, share it with your friends and family. Comment below on Spotify what you liked. Please also rate us. Um, share our Instagram and Facebook posts. And uh, let us know if there's anything you would like us to talk about in the future. Have a wonderful day. Have a most bodacious day. All right. Peace out.